You may be seated. Hey, everybody, good morning again. Good morning. Uh, I'm Pastor Chris. Uh, welcome. Welcome to Coastal. Happy Father's Day. Uh, you know, with the events of this past week, I, uh, I thought and prayed a lot about uh, what to do about this Sunday. You know, we're in week three of this uh, series we're in called At the Movies, and today's Father's Day. Um, but I'll be honest with you, as I just began to pray uh, and seek the Lord about what direction to go with my message, do I change it, do I go to a different, you know, go do something else, um, honestly, today's message is a real uh, strong uh, word about, about men. About, it's a strong challenge for men rising up and being men. And um, just the more I thought about it, the more I prayed about it, and the more as we saw things unfold, I thought, man, this is a message uh, that is needed today like never before. And I actually kind of thought, you know, if Reverend Pinkney could uh, uh, whisper in my ear, I got a feeling he would say, Pastor Chris, preach it and preach it strong. Uh, because men need to rise up today in the church and in our community and be the men that God has called them to be. Uh, I was going to talk a little bit about this morning about Braveheart, so I'm not going to do that. It's one of my, uh, it is one of my favorite movies. It's a man's movie. I have really no idea why so many men are drawn to this movie, but there, there's a lot of things. I mean, there's some great lines, and, uh, I, I, but I think truthfully one of the reasons uh, most men are drawn to this movie Braveheart is because of our secret desire to wear a kilt. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> I'm not really sure. I, you know, I don't know. Anyway, freedom, really. <laughs> Think about that. Freedom. Anyway, okay. Um, but, uh, you know, in, in those moments in life where you've got that opportunity to say, uh, you know, I don't know, kind of like a parting message. You know, just uh, especially from parents to their children. Like, you know, you got that, that moment, that, that little brief moment in time where you want to look your kids in the eye and it's, it's kind of an important deal and you want to pass on something to them and you want it to be meaningful and, and just speak into their lives and their hearts. And, you know, as parents, we have many opportunities like that. I mean, it seems that really, you know, as they grow um, we just have more and more of those opportunities. Maybe, you know, when they were little, you know, you think about when you watch them walk off to, uh, uh, down the pathway to uh, the, the sidewalk, maybe to kindergarten or something, and I just wanted to, I love you, you know, I want to say that, that little parting word to them, or, or maybe you can remember uh, when uh, they drove away for the very first time in a car without you. And, uh, you know, you want to give them that, that word of, of wisdom and that, you know, the, the words of advice from a mom or a dad to, to your child. Um, you know, I remember, uh, you know, going to, uh, dropping uh, Lydia off at college and you know, me and Christopher and Janet, you know, drove back in our car and nobody wanted to say anything because we're, we, we're all afraid that we're, <gasps> you know, we start bawling in the car and then. You know, but there's that moment when you hug and when you look your child in the eye and you want to say that that important word to them. Um, you know, I remember when, uh, you know, I just experienced another one of those recently when I dropped Liddy off in Los Angeles. And, you know, we, we kind of went to bed that night and had to get up early the next morning. And we kind of, you know, hadn't really said what we knew needed to be said. And, um, you know, then she drives me to the airport. You got that just... You know, that little moment in time where you want to, you know, say that last little parting word. Um, you see those, those moments in Scripture. And uh, King David uh, had one of those moments with one of his sons, Solomon. And uh, he's on his deathbed, and he brings Solomon to his side. Listen to what he says in 1 Kings 2, 1 and 3. It says, when the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So, be strong. Show yourself to be a man. 
and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in his ways, keep his decrees and commands, his laws and requirements as written in the law of Moses so that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you go. I mean, why? Why would David look his son in the eye in those closing moments and say, take courage, be a man? I think David knew what we know today, and that is things have not changed a whole lot in uh, these several thousand years, and that is that there is a battle going on today in the heart of every man. And it was true back then, and it is definitely true today. Ladies, if you are married, I want to challenge you right here, right now, to be praying for the heart of your husband. You know, there, there is a battle going on for the soul of your man. If you are in a dating relationship, I want to challenge you to pray for the heart of your boyfriend. You know, ask God to, to open up the heart of your man to understand the truth of God's word, uh, to grow a pair, and to be a man. Okay? I mean, let's just lay it on the line here this morning. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says this. Paul, listen to this parting message. He said, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be what? Be men of courage, be strong. You know, Paul is telling men to be strong. Why? Why? I mean, why is that his message? Why is David saying be strong? Well, I believe it's because he looked around and what he was seeing was that he saw men who were not walking in the strength that God had called them to walk in. You know, so what does that mean? I mean, what does it mean to man up? What does it mean to, you know, to be men of courage? You know, when people throw those, those terms around today, what does it mean? Well, and does it mean anything within the context of being a godly man, of being a husband, being a father? I think it does. You know, fatherhood has got to be one of the most difficult tasks that a man can undertake. And, and listen, it's obvious, is it not, that the stakes are high today. They are high. This, this next generation, the generation behind us, listen to me, they are counting on you. They are counting on us. You know, to me, one of the great examples of a man in Scripture who knew what it was to be a man um, is, is kind of a, a, maybe a strange example, maybe not one that you would go to immediately, but it's a man by the name of Job. Now, you might be thinking, well, Pastor Chris, isn't Job, you know, the story, the book about suffering and the sovereignty of God? Well, it is, and we actually did a series on Job uh, not too long ago, but from the very first five verses of this book, you discover that Job was an exceptional dad, an exceptional man, and he modeled to his kids what it meant to follow God, what it meant to be a strong man. Now, before the women here today check out and pull up uh, your phone and start making lists of things to do today, uh, thinking that today's message has nothing to do with you and it doesn't apply to you, listen up and listen carefully. You know, most of the principles that I'm going to share today, first of all, can be applied to all of us, male and female. But if you are a single woman, listen loud and clear. Stop settling for anything less than a God-honoring, Christ-centered, spirit-led man. Period. I mean, don't even date somebody who does not meet that minimum standard. 
And by the way, that's not just me saying it. That, that's what the Bible says. Ever, you know, ever meet a guy, single ladies, ever meet a guy who plays the God card or the Jesus card so that they could get a date with you? Absolutely, right? I'm sure some, many of you have. But then you go out with that guy and all of a sudden it's different. And they turn the tables a little bit and they begin to pressure you to go further physically than you know is right. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 5.11. What I meant was, in other words, let me be really clear here, okay? What I meant was, you're not even to associate with anybody who claims to be a Christian and yet indulges in sexual sin. But not just that, by the way. Listen to this list. Or who is greedy. In other words, who puts the things of this world ahead of the things of God, who cares more about, you know, stuff and things and, uh, you know, than, than God, or worships idols, who puts anyone or anything ahead of first place in their life other than God, or who is abusive, who doesn't treat you like the, you know, like the princess of God that you are, you know, who uh, um, are abusive or is a drunkard, you know, who drinks and can't stop, who is a swindler, who's always just looking out for the, you know, the next big deal, the next big thing. And then he says, don't even what? Eat with such people. Don't even go out on a date with them. Don't waste your time. And listen, if you are a married woman here today and your husband is not a believer, and for all practical purposes, you are the spiritual leader of your home, don't lose hope. Persevere. Don't give up. Live the life of faith for your husband to see. You know, do the right thing for the right reasons regardless, and the Lord will provide for you. You know, if you are here today and there is a man in your life who is striving to do his best to be a godly man. You know, to live a life worthy of his calling. Not perfect, by the way, because you're not perfect either. But there's a man in your life, a father, a husband, a boyfriend, who is, who is living this kind of life, trying to live this kind of life, live by the Holy Spirit of God. Listen, give thanks to God for that man and encourage him and lift him up and pray for him. Now, Back to Job. I want to give you just four characteristics this morning of his life that I think we could imitate and apply in our lives today. And man, if this is not needed today, I don't know when it is. Number one, he provided for his family. And before you start going, yeah, that's right, I provide for my family. I knew I did something right. Okay, before you get all, you know, macho on us here, um, let's figure out exactly what, what, what I'm talking about. Look at Job 1, 1 through 3. In the land of Uz, I just love that, say that, say that word, in the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. The man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and he had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the east. The book of Job begins with this introduction of this man who lived in southeast Palestine about 3,000 years ago during the time of Abraham and, and Jacob and Isaac. And his name in Hebrew, Job, means one greatly tried. And oh man, he was. 
That's an understatement. In fact, his name has become synonymous with patience. You know, the patience of Job. He was a wealthy man. I mean, it wouldn't be a stretch to say that he was the the Bill Gates of his day. But there was so much more to his legacy. And this is what I don't want you to miss today than just his bank account. Because he he understood that money can buy a lot of stuff. But it can't buy a loving family. It can't give you hope. It can't give you purpose. It, it, can't, it can't heal. It can't, it can't solve problems. R- ultimate, real problems. Job gave his family something more than just stuff. He provided a godly example. And I want, you to, I want you to hear those four words again. They're used to describe Job. And I think they give us some insight into his character. And I think these are descriptions That should be the goal of every man who seeks to show his children the heart of God. Listen, if you're trying to lead your family today, these are some great uh, character traits that you ought to exhibit in your life. First of all, he's called blameless. This This isn't the idea of perfection. What he's talking about here is the idea of consistency. The idea of integrity. He was a committed family man. He was a devoted father, a devoted husband. And it's been said that if you want a stable family, then you've got to start with a stable dad. Inconsistent fathers. Men, listen to me. Inconsistent fathers produce insecure children. Unreliable husbands produce unstable marriages. Proverbs 20 verse 7 says, the godly walk with what? Integrity. Blessed are their children after them. Job is also called upright. In other words, he was known for his honesty. When he said it, he meant it, and he stood behind it. Thirdly, Job is said to have a feared God, the phrase is. He feared God. You know, in the book of Proverbs, Solomon says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, that doesn't mean that you know, you're cowering in, in, in fear of God. It means that there is this sense that you take God seriously. There is this sense of, of awe about God and about who he is and how, who you are in comparison to him, this reverent awe. In fact, in describing the unbelieving world who doesn't know God, the Apostle Paul said this in Romans 3.18. He says, There is no fear of God before their eyes. Man, does that sound relevant today? No sense of awe uh, uh, in his presence. Finally, it says he shunned evil. In other words, there was a moral integrity to him. You know, listen, there, there was an active spiritual battle to keep evil away from his family. And did you know that Satan today, men, listen to me, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy your family. Proverbs 14, 16 says, A wise man fears the Lord and shuns evil, but a fool is hot-headed and reckless. Somebody once made the point that we should keep everything out of our home that would keep Jesus out of our children's lives. You know, our kids need to know that we as men consider God to be our number one priority. Not stuff, but our relationship with God. They should see us actively standing against evil in defense of our family. And when we see it, we should call it out. Because that's your job. 
Proverbs 22, 1, we are told that a good name is more desirable than great riches and to be esteemed better than silver or gold. Let me ask you, has a good name been passed down to you from, from your father, your dad? If so, give thanks and honor to your father. Job gave his kids something greater than an inheritance of silver and gold. He gave them something that they could be, provi- that they could be proud of. He provided them with a godly example, a blameless life, an, a man of upright character, a man who feared God, a man who shunned evil. Men, let me ask you a question. How, how are you doing with this one? Is that a priority in your life and in your home? Number two, he was present in their lives. He was present in their lives. Look at verse four. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Um, His children, now grown up, you know, families of their own, but they all remained close. And it would not be unlikely, uh, you know, or, or it would be unusual to invite their sisters over for these feasts if they were just rowdy parties. This was more than that. This was a a real family get-together. We don't know if Job was there for all of it or not, but we know he was aware of what was going on in their lives. And my point is, is that he was not disengaged. He was present. He was involved. He didn't give that responsibility over to somebody else. Dr. Wayne Horn said this, 40% of children go to sleep without their fathers. Did you hear that? He goes on to say, 40% of them have not seen their father in over a year. He concluded, the trend toward father absence has reached a crisis. It is a national crisis. Not one of many crises, but the national crisis of our time. And if you think that's just a you know, statistical exaggeration, I challenge you to talk to anybody in public education today. Talk to a teacher and ask them what they see about the absence of fatherhood in our schools and, what it, and what's happening to this generation coming behind. So, how can you be there for your kids? How can we go against the culture and be present in our children's lives? Let me give you three things to consider. I, I think you already know this, but let's be reminded about it this morning. First of all, by spending time with them. Spending time with them. How do kids spell love? T-I-M-E. Listen, do not hand me that garbage of, well, I just want to spend quality time with my kids. You know, hogwash, garbage. There's no such thing. Listen, you can't schedule quality time. It happens as a result of just spending time. Now, I know I'm stating the obvious, but dads, your kids need you. They need your time, and they need lots of it. Because they learn, they develop, they grow by walking, talking, listening, playing, wrestling, fishing, watching you. It's been said that if you want your children to turn out well, spend twice as much time with them and half as much money. Okay? Pull that one on the next birthday. Pastor Chris said, you're not getting much, but we're going to hang out together <laughs> later on today. Okay? Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to give you money, but we're going out together. Woo! Okay. But dad, seriously, I mean, the most valuable possession that you have, and you know this, because it's... As everybody grows up, you see it slipping away, don't you? It's your time. 
So you spend time with them. The second way you can be present with your children, and this begins early, 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 early. It's by disciplining them. Disciplining them. I know that it's not the politically correct thing to say, but I don't care. But, you know, one of the saddest comments ever made about fatherhood to me is recorded in First in Kings 1.6 where David's son um, Adonijah was planning a rebellion against his father. Listen to what it says. His father had never interfered with him by asking, why do you behave as you do? Dad never spoke into his life. Dad never took a lead in his life. Dads, listen to me. As a father, if you do not discipline your children, then two things are true about you according to God's word. Number one, it proves you don't love them. It proves you don't love them. Proverbs 13, 24 says, he who spares the rod hates his son. He who loves him is careful to discipline him. The other thing failing to discipline my children shows is that I am actively participating in their destruction and our world, our community, our culture will will reap the the, the results of that. Proverbs 19, 18 says, out of the Good News translation, discipline your children while they are what? Young, young enough to learn. If you don't, you are participating in their destruction. David didn't do that. You know, he, he, he never interfered. And sadly, as a result, you know what the Bible tells us? His children, many of whom grew up to become rapists, liars, murderers, treasonous, self-serving delinquents who were constantly trying to take over his kingdom. Now, in contrast to that, parents who care enough who love enough to thoughtfully, intentionally, prayerfully discipline their kids. And again, I'm not talking about, you know, abuse. I'm not talking about swatting at your children down an aisle in Walmart. Somebody ought to swat you if you think that works. I'm talking about thoughtfully, lovingly, intentionally figuring that out in your home. You know, it says that, that those children become a delight to their families. And it's your responsibility, by the way. Discipline your son, it says in Proverbs 28, 17, and he will bring you peace. He will bring delight to your soul. Now, way more important than that, though, and I, I, I'll, I will go down into my grave saying that more important than discipline, though, is this last one, being emotionally available to them. Being emotionally available to them. Now, there's going to be some guys who will push back on that and go, well, that's, you know, Pastor Chris, that's tough. That's tough for me because, you know, that's not the way I'm wired. You know, uh, I didn't grow up in a home like that. You know, my dad slapped me on top of the head and said, uh, you know, whatever. I mean, you know, and you, know, what, you know, what am I supposed to do? I, you know, I didn't grow up in a home where, you know, people told me they loved me. Hey, you know what the answer is? Here's, here's the answer from Pastor Chris to you as a man. You ready? Grow up and get over yourself and do it anyway. Okay, seriously. I mean, what do you want me to do? You want me to pat you on the head and, and we're going to talk in counseling over the next 10 years or why you can't, you know, grow up and, and do what God's called you to do. You know, love your kids. I don't, you know... Love them, you know, love is trying to to treat someone the way they need to be treated, for their benefit, not yours. 
You know, tell, so how? How do you do that? Let's be really practical. Tell your children you love them. You be their biggest and their greatest cheerleader. First Thessalonians, I mean, the Bible is so practical. It spells this out for us. Verses 11 and 12 of chapter 2. For you know, listen to this, that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Now listen to these words. Encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. Dads, that's, that's what we do. I mean, catch those words. Encouraging, comforting, urging. That's what I mean. Say things like, wow, great job. Man, you are so smart. I am so glad God gave you to us. I'm so glad you're my son. I'm so glad you're my daughter. I love you. Man, do you know what a a regular dose of that does to your children? Man, that affirms them big time that they are special and they're loved. That's what I'm talking about, drawing their heart out. Dads, that's so important that it comes from you. You know, how are you doing it, being present and being engaged in the lives of your children? Job provided, he was present. Number three, he was the priest of his home. He was the priest of his home. Look at verse five. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their heart. Job was up early in the morning talking to God about his children. Man, that was a priority for him. His children were now grown, but he's still praying for them. Why? Because he recognized this ever-present temptation to lose God along the way of life. And he was burdened for their spiritual walk with the Lord. The word curse there where it says, perhaps my kids have sinned and cursed God in their heart. The word curse there could be better translated to take God lightly. In other words, Job, you know, he wasn't so much worried that his kids were going to blaspheme God and end up in a ditch somewhere, but rather in the midst of all of the pleasures of life and distractions of life, that they would just take God for granted. Man, does that not sound like 2015 just blaring at us? That's the danger of our culture. That's the danger of our world. That in the midst of all of the distractions, all of the pleasures, all of the outside influences of this world, that our kids will just grow up and take God for granted. And Job was worried about that. And so he knew he was the priest of his home. What does a priest do? Well, a priest interceded between the people and God. Dads, it is imperative that you get this today. You are the full-time minister in your home. That is your responsibility. It is not your wife's responsibility. It is not Pastor Chris's responsibility. It is not the responsibility of the youth pastor at the church. You, that is your primary role. You have a responsibility before God for your wife and your children. What can we learn from Job? Notice that verse 5 says he would send for them after the time of feasting for the purification, for the sanctification. What in the world are they talking about? Well, during this time, the burnt offering was offered by Job as he officiated as a priest on behalf of his family. Now just think about this scene in your mind. Early in the morning, 
You know, the dew is still fresh and wet on the ground. Job silently walks to the family altar with a lamb and maybe one of his sons or one of his daughters. Maybe he looks his daughter in the eye and he says, Honey, you know that I love you. And you know that God loves you. But he is also a holy God. And I've taught you from the time you're just a little girl that this sacrifice, it takes your place. It takes my place. We, together, collectively, we all deserve death because of our sin. But God, in his grace and his love, allows a sacrifice for our sin. And my fear is that you, you would just take God lightly. That you would forget that he's the reason we're so blessed. That you would lose him in, in the midst of all this distraction and, and pleasure. And I got to think that as that sacrifice was consumed by that fire, that that daughter or that son would just be called back to the reality in that teachable moment from her father of God's great love for her and the awesomeness of his holiness. So what does that mean for you and for me, for me as a dad, as a man? To all the fathers that are here today, I want you to think about something. Your children are the only possession that ultimately you can take with you to heaven. And as the priest of your home, your number one responsibility is to bring Jesus to your children and to bring your children to Jesus. You say, Pastor Chris, but how do I do that? It begins with you being the spiritual leader in your home. And what that means on a practical level is that, and here's the word, I want you to hone in on this word. You take the initiative when it comes to things like prayer. When it comes to bringing your family to church. When it comes to making sure that your kids are at vacation Bible school. When it comes to making sure that your kids are are developing community in a youth group like we have here at Coastal where they can hear the truth of God's word taught to them on their level where you take the initiative in modeling to them a servant's heart and giving. You see, listen, there's no one book, there's no one model that everybody has got to follow. You know, in your life and in your family, be God-honoring, Christ-centered, and spirit-led. And if you will do that, listen, Jesus will help you apply this principle in your life and in your family. But the thing you got to catch, though, is initiative. Are you taking the lead? You know, as to put it simply as I know how, our kids need to see you, you know, openly, naturally demonstrating your faith in Jesus every day, not missing those teachable moments. And by the way, it starts really, really young. And, and I'm not talking about, you know, reading 
an occasional Bible verse or, you know, saying grace when the relatives come over and you're like, what are we doing now? You know, like holding hands. I don't, we don't, you know, pass the chicken. We don't do that. I'm talking about, I'm talking about a lifestyle, a lifestyle. It's Deuteronomy 6 lived out where it says these commandments. By the way, what commandments? He said earlier the commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. He says these commandments that I give you today, and he's talking primarily, by the way, to parents and to men. He says they're to be upon your hearts. What does that mean? That means in in your life. You know, and he goes on to describe it. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Man, that's as practical as it gets. Stop saying you don't know what to do or you don't know how to do it. You're not dumb. You're not an animal. You know, it, in every facet of life, You're just to be modeling the love and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus as you grow in your walk with him. And every moment, you know, you just look, whether you're watching TV or you're, you know, repairing the lawnmower or you're fishing or what, you're hanging out. Or this past week, the events of this past week, you look for those moments where you can impress upon your kids putting God first in their life and love, and Jesus. Finally, number four, he persevered. Look at the very last sentence in verse five. Five words that end this passage. This was Job's what? Regular custom. Listen, our world does not need more athletes or actors or rock stars. Our kids don't need that. They need a dad who will man up and go the distance. Men who are willing to sacrifice for the future of their family, for the future of this community, for the future of our nation. You know, I ran across a quote this week. Listen to this. A hundred years from now, it will not matter what my bank account was, the sort of house I lived in, or the kind of car I drove. But the world may be a different place because I was important in the life of a child. Stu Weber in the book Tender Warrior said this to fathers. He writes, the bottom line, stay with it, men. Stick by your commitments. Stand by your promises. Never, never, never let go, no matter what. When marriage isn't fun, stay in it. When parenting is way over your head, stay at it. When work is crushing your spirit, don't let it beat you down. When your children let you down, you pick them up. And when it's 4th and 14 and there's no time left on the clock, you throw another pass. Don't give up. I want all the men in the room this morning to stand up if you would. Please stand. All the men. Fathers, husbands, men, stand up. I want to pray for you. And if there's a woman in your life who's near you, grab his hand as we pray. Let's bow our hearts and our heads before the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you created fathers and husbands and men. I pray over these men who are standing today. I pray that you have used your word today to be a sharp two-edged sword to cut to the heart of the matter in these men's relationships with you, with their families, with their relationship with each other, and to this church. 
Lord, deliver me and deliver all these men from mediocrity, from spiritual laziness. Encourage us, challenge us to man up, to be the men that you have called us to be, to be the fathers that our children need, to be the husbands that our wives need. And as your eyes move to and fro throughout our church this morning, throughout this auditorium, may you find many, many whose hearts are completely devoted to you. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.